Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. Hello again and thank you for tuning in for a really extra special episode this week. So the internet has gone into a little bit of meltdown in response to Weight Watchers who have decided that in America they're going to offer free memberships for adolescents. So kids, teenagers are going to be offered a free membership to Weight Watchers which is just the most, I mean, anybody who's listened to this podcast before, you might have even heard me talk about Weight Watchers in a previous podcast. They are absolute predators in the world of the weight loss wolves. They've got to be top dog, right? And here they are going in for a brand new market. Well, you know what was really inspiring to see the pushback right? This week, there was a massive pushback against this Weight Watchers ploy with the beautiful Twitter campaign, social media campaign, hashtag wake up Weight Watchers with just so much outpouring of just uproar and outrage. And just, it feels like a sense of fierce protection towards our teenagers because this sort of shit just can't go down. It just can't happen. So I've kind of had, you know, a roller coaster week of being really outraged that they're doing this and pretending it's about health and then really impressed and just sort of touched by the power of this pushback because the pushback's almost getting more attention than the proposition. So I was really excited to chat with my guest this week. Her name is Rebecca Scritchfield and she's based in the US. And she is a dietitian, nutritionist, and author of Body Kindness. She is a powerhouse when it comes to being quite an outspoken voice for anti-diet stuff and a real great representative. So I had a really awesome chat with her about her part in this whole Wake Up Weight Watchers campaign, which is really significant. And I really hope you get a lot out of hearing this episode and share it far and wide because I really want the outcome of this kind of outrage, which, you know, it's weird. It sort of feels a little bit like the hashtag me too campaign diet culture version because so many voices are rising up and sharing what it's really like to go on a Weight Watchers diet. And it's just not glamorous or health giving. So let's, you know, really hope that an outcome from this pushback is that Weight Watchers abandon this ugly, disgusting, naked grab for more customers. Okay, I'm going to step off my soapbox and allow everybody to listen to this awesome conversation with Rebecca. Here she is. So Rebecca, thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me, what is firing you up? Well, I have two young girls. They're five and three and a half. And even though they're not yet in the teen years, according to Weight Watchers, they could become the next targets because they plan to offer a free program for kids this summer in the US. And I think that's bullcrap. Oh, you can say bullshit if you like. It's sweet. That's total bullshit. Oh my God. Yes. This has just hit the headlines here in Australia and it's unclear if they're doing it here too, but it's Mm. clear that this is a push that they're doing. It's sort of based exactly on targeting a new market and going for young teenagers. It's just disgusting on a whole new level. I'm just, I'm shocked. So what have you, because you actually have a story that happened after you didn't just think this was bull crap and go back to sleep. (laughs) No, I got fired up. I got woke up and fired up and then I started Instagramming. So, you know, like many people who wake up a little bit early in the morning and don't want to get out of bed quite yet do, I was scrolling through Instagram and there's an account I follow, morelove.org and there was a post and it basically an- announced that Weight Watchers was doing this free teen program. And then it also pulled that it was part of the plan for to grow their business to $2 billion. And oh. then, I know, exactly. It is all about the money. Follow the money, follow the power. 
And then there was a wonderful, powerful message about how messed up this was. And so honestly, that was how I first got the news and I was fired up Mm. and I have the repost app on Instagram. And I love that because you can easily repost and credit other people's stuff. So I reposted it with just a warning to parents. You know, I counsel kids and families. So I have the only mindfulness-based and health at every size-based practice in Washington, D.C. But mm-hmm. I, over 50% of my clientele are kids and families. And it's a lot of the referrals are from the pediatrician's office where I send my own kids and mm-hmm. they know what I'm about and they know how I work with kids and families. And yeah, and so I just posted a warning to, to parents, like mm-hmm. it is okay if you want to improve what goes on in the house. It's okay if you want to take a look at your quality of life and the choices and all that stuff. But whatever you do, don't put them on a weight loss plan because mm-hmm. it is associated with increased risk for eating disorders. And also probably sounding to most people, ironically, but childhood mm-hmm. obesity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that two of the strongest risk factors for weight loss dieting are really huge increased risk of eating disorders and then long-term increase in body weight, not decrease in body weight. Right. So what the... <laughs> Well, I know. It's like the doctor, here you go. Here's a medicine. I'm going to charge you for it. I guarantee you it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's actually going to make it worse. The thing that you're bothered about, it's going to make it even worse. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, would you take it? <laughs> no. If you're worried about a heart attack, here's a pill that costs a lot of money and it's going to give you a heart attack in a few years. <laughs> but if you don't, I'm going to shame you for not taking oh. it. <laughs> Oh God. Yeah. It does need a health warning because these facts are not being presented. The gaslighting bullshit that Weight Watchers have put out, it's Mm -hmm. almost like here I am, Weight Watchers saving the world and saving the kiddies. And what they're actually doing is signing up a whole new database of customers for their repeat business model. Well, I I look at it like hijacking health. Oh, good term. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've said before, I want to take what we think of as health and put it in a dumpster, set it on fire and start it all over again because it (laughs) it is just messed up. You know, that's like what I see when we know bodies are political and now we're making kids' bodies political. And I have a strong concern and I wrote about it in my Washington Post story that the parents themselves could be dealing with eating and body image issues because they need to take the kids to the meetings anyway. Like what's that going to look like? Oh There's going to be God. a Weight Watcher sign on the door. What is a kid supposed to think? Even if they think mm. they want to be there, they're being told mm. their body is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to go to these special meetings and, you know, reporting to this machine with all of these people and, and food's no longer a relationship. It's something to be policed as well as your body. Right. I mean, and even if they say, oh, this is a lifestyle and this is about balance and like, you don't even have to have weight goals, you know, it's just the name alone is problematic. And honestly, I had serious concerns about who are these leaders? Like, who do they hire as a group leader? What's their credentials? What's their expertise? Do they know anything about mental health? Do they know anything about kids? No, it is quite scary. I mean, the people, as far as I know, the people who are leaders in Weight Watchers are people who have achieved their goal weight in Weight Watchers, which as we know from like the last podcast where we talked about Weight Watchers, mm-hmm. only about 6% of all people who try Weight Watchers will achieve their goal weight, quote unquote. And often that, that goal weight are people who weren't that big to begin with and have lost a very small amount of weight anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's their credential, like they're unicorns mm-hmm. who are like mm-hmm. white knuckling the program. And I have had like more than one client who have been Weight Watchers leaders and engaged in really eating disordered behavior so that they would maintain their goal weight so they could maintain their job. Mm. Oh my gosh, that's twisted. It's so twisted. So these are the people who will potentially be in charge of your children. Well, yeah, it's so messed up. So I've had personal experience with Weight Watchers. I mean, I've had personal experience with dieting. So I tried my first diet at nine. It's a mm-hmm. long story, but dieted off and on with my mom. And she kind of had like the poor man's version of Weight Watchers because we actually were economically challenged. And But as an adult doing the online program, mostly around my wedding. And it is, it's really sad. I actually found the other day, this old journal. Yeah. And inside was this envelope and it had the dates leading up to my wedding. And I was weighing myself every day. And if it was up, I got a frown. Oh. If it was down, I got a smile face. 
you know, <laughs> and it's just like, just the fact that I found that is like, I have positive memories of my wedding. And again, mm-hmm. I was dieting, right? Shedding for the wedding, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. And I was still finishing school for nutrition. And even when I first became a dietitian, I was centered in diet culture, but so it makes sense, but it was what I used to keep my weight suppressed because in my mind, I wasn't going to, I don't know what, deserve the wedding of my dreams unless I looked a certain way. I do not know. <laughs> yeah. But it, it wasn't for healthy lifestyle, that is for sure. No, well, because all of those numbers were numbers. They weren't waking up and I felt really grateful today or I felt really free around food today. Yeah, it was, I got enough sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's terrible, isn't it? Weight Watchers are pretending not to be a diet and mm. pretending not to be like the embodiment of diet culture. But mm. I'm sorry, that's just exactly what the hell they are. And it's right there in the name. (laughs) And frankly, that is probably the scariest of scariest because the reality of it is we do have a body positivity movement going. We do have Mm -hmm. more fat activism. It is necessary. It is only beginning. We need to keep shifting this power structure. Mm -hmm. But what they're realizing, not just Weight Watchers, but anyone who put Whole30 in here or whatever, all the Mm -hmm. other things covered, you know, this isn't a diet. This is not about weight loss. Oh, it's a secondary benefit or whatever they're saying. But then Mm -hmm. they start to co-opt like true self-compassion and self-love. And so it's kind of like when Mm -hmm. you lose weight, your life will start and Mm -hmm. let's use self-love to get there. And it's just another way that we tell the person, oh, sorry, you screwed this up. (laughs) You can't do self-love either. I know because you can't do self-love and still like remain the same weight. You're failing. You're not loving yourself enough, right? Yeah. Oh, it's it's such a dreadful thing. You're so correct that this is absolutely co-opting more and more the body positivity language. And it is just absolute blatant lying to say this is not a diet. This Mm -hmm. is a diet. This is the diet. I have probably, you know, I've, I've seen thousands of people and even including myself, actually, when I think about it, every mm-hmm. single person that I've seen for eating issues will have a dieting history and every single person will have Weight Watchers in there and usually wow. multiple times. In fact, as I was doing research for this episode, I came across something. It was an article from Tracy Mann, who, and it's really cool. It's called Oprah's Investment in Weight Watchers was Smart Because the Program Doesn't Work. So she actually says in here that the company brags about its repeat business to its shareholders. According to the Weight Watchers business plan from 2001, its members have, quote, demonstrated a consistent pattern of repeat enrollment over a number of years, signing up for an average of four separate program cycles. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Four cycles. So when we look at them pitching now, free enrollment to teenage kids, what do you think they're preparing them for? They're preparing the business for a big fat bottom line and longevity. Yeah, well, two billion. (laughs) And that's, you know, maybe if we can get the average cycles up to six in a lifetime, how much more money could we make from that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is not about health concern. They don't give a shit about our health. I agree. Yeah, I'm just always breathless. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's been around for a really long time Mm. and our bodies have been political for a long time. I mean, it it actually started with men became interested, like the original body hacking, you know, like before (laughs) there were even scales, like trying to set up, well, if I control this or that about food and even Ben Franklin, I think he ended up trying these diety things and he ended up with some sort of, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it's basically something about moderation mm. and just that health was, I don't know, just a moderation message around food. But then it got transferred to the thin ideal got transferred to women because we know mm. there was a time when full-bodied meant riches and meant fertility. And yeah, it got transferred to women. One of the most interesting stories, I, I actually love dieting history. And one of the most interesting stories I remember learning about was how they even created the bathroom scale. And the long story short version is that it was also through money. Like they had this novelty game at movie theaters and on the streets called a penny scale. And you put a penny in and you stepped on and got to see what you weighed. Mm. And so it's like a total joke entertainment. People didn't weigh themselves before then. Well, they figured out how to get it small enough 
and just basically decided, what do we want people to do with this? Mm. They decided it would be a bathroom scale, but there was no need for this toy. You know, yeah, it was a game. This was like pre-BMI, right? Pre like- Oh yeah. yeah. Like I might have this wrong, but maybe the 1920s. Yeah. And basically, eventually they got it to be smaller so they could fit in the bathroom. And this would be more like the 40s and 50s and stuff where they could get it, you know, basically get the patent on a bathroom scale, Mm. but there was no need. So they had to create one. So what do you do when you need to create a need? You pay advertisers and you, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole Mad Men style thing, right? And so they Mm. took out these ads and you look at the first ads for scales, they're dieting ads. And it says like for health and happiness and success, weigh yourself every day. (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) And of course it shows this woman in her curlers and her nightgown on this contraption, like, Ooh, what's my number? And you know, that's the thing to realize and to really challenge where does this come from? And that's a big part of where it came from. And I mean, sure, people get into all the, Oh, and how the food supply change and this and that change. But you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Deborah Gard, who talks about, look, the people who are at higher weight represent the genetics of the survivors of famine (laughs) and bad things in history. So Mm. why are they not healthy? And to me with the issue with dieting and diet culture is that it does put full responsibility on individuals. Like you caught this, this is your problem. You should fix this. If you don't, you're lazy, you're wrong. Something's wrong with you. Like that is just... Mm. Mm. That's perfect. It's the perfect business model. Mm -hmm. So you give credit to the diet when you lose weight. And then when you regain the weight, you blame yourself. That's what all of these companies know as well. So it is, it sets them up so you'll get more vulnerable to the same company again. Mm-hmm. It's yep. essentially dreadful, but sort of Machiavellian-like perfection. <laughs> <laughs> well, the same company or maybe a different company because, ooh, well, I didn't like the one thing they did. And this one's making a promise that sounds good. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's something I found out in researching for my book, Body Kindness, was about like psychology mm-hmm. and that the mere thought of imagining yourself at that lower weight gives a rush of dopamine to your brain. Yeah. And what does just, that do? Well, it's a reward. It's just imagining that, you know, wow, having this body, it's like a huge rush of dopamine. It's a pleasure center. It's a reward. And the body responds to reward by saying, I want more of that. So now you start to believe through all these messages that this is the thing to do. And then when the medical community decided to embrace BMI, they were basically getting in bed with the marketing of diet culture because now it became a health issue. And that was just a giant, mm-hmm. giant screw up. Yeah. That marriage really kind of sentenced us all to a lifetime in diet prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating. And it is like a perfect concoction of factors that have all come together to make us really vulnerable to this. And when it comes down to just, you know, I have done a podcast on how Weight Watchers are just getting kind of better and better at being more and more underhanded towards humanity with these new marketing people that they've got on board with Oprah, with the explosion of money that they've got. Now they're going after the kids. And I'm so glad that you saw this and Instagrammed and kind of you've stirred the pot a bit, haven't you? I have a hard time taking credit for it because I guess people do end up saying, oh, it was like social media luck. But I feel very grateful that it happened. It just, I was looking at it. I got upset. I reshared that post with my own thoughts. I put something, one of the articles on Facebook that just said, you know, I really wish this isn't the case. Mm -hmm. It ended up getting lots of likes and shares. And then through that, one of the editors at the Washington Post reached out and we had a conversation and it turned into a freelance assignment to write a basically not the news because it had already Mm. broken, but it was a perspectives piece. So it was a perspective Mm. on the news. And so it was largely written from my viewpoint as a DC-based helping professional specializing in weight-inclusive care and preventing eating disorders, although... Mm reading as well. And then including science facts, you know, uh, (laughs) to support. (laughs) Yeah. Actual critical thought. Because, you know, when you said 
news. That wasn't news. That was yeah. a press release that came yeah. directly from freaking Weight Watchers. That is not news. Yeah. It was presented as news. So yeah. your article actually dug and thought about it, which is yeah. uh, excellent. And we need so much more of this. And it's, it's really encouraging that the Washington Post saw that and contacted you. And thank you for doing all the hard work because I know it is a lot of work to put those things together. And usually it's a labour of love because you've got to put in your own time and effort. Yeah, it was a really fast turnaround. So what was interesting about the timeline is that it was a quick turnaround and we were heading into the weekend. So just between wanting to talk to an expert, I ended up interviewing Deborah Gard, who I mentioned earlier. And so she is a fellow of the Academy of Eating Disorders and she's also a health at every size expert. And And she's also just freaking awesome. I know. We love Deb. (laughs) So I thought she would be a good voice to talk about it from like the mental health piece and like, you know, really help to parents like kind of really think about the impact of their decision. She gave a great quote for that. And then I also talked to Weight Watchers and it was over email. And unfortunately, what I really wanted was more information about the program and they simply didn't have it. And which frankly, that just, it makes me nervous. Like I don't know where this announcement came from. It seems, I mean, yes, we have time until the summer, but I just think of all, we know parents need to take kids to the meeting. So are they just going to be dragging their kids to the adult versions of the meeting? Well, there's just so many uncertainties there. But they they couldn't answer any of your questions about how it's going to work? Oh yeah. They said, we will be releasing, I can look it up exactly, but it's something Mm. along the lines of, I mean, it looked to me like we don't know, but (laughs) it was like, we will be releasing more information at a later date and as it gets closer. So, you know, frankly, I honestly, when I was working on it, I was like, I hope that it helps Weight Watchers, like truthfully, you because I mean, they have like $2 billion, whatever. They have much more power than I do, right? So they could actually read it and just be like, okay, Rebecca's warning us about this or that or whatever. Like heed the warning. I mean, honestly, it would be amazing to just change their mind. You know, like it's not the right time. That would be amazing. But I think we need to really start talking harm reduction because Mm -hmm. that is if we really care about health, we care about mental and physical, we have to care about well-being. And I just, you know, to care about efficacy and it's just ridiculous the way that's the thing in order for them to really listen to your message, they would have to admit that what they're doing is harmful. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, just even the whole division of responsibility for what parents and kids are responsible for, like, let's talk about growing teens. They're supposed to be gaining weight, puberty around 40 pounds or so. I mean, it's, it's Mm -hmm. variable, but still, and typically what I see in my practice is they're coming in a little bit pre-puberty and the parents are concerned about Mm -hmm. like a drastic weight change. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look, there is usually something habit wise, right? Like it turns out that the parents had a very unstructured house and it was like, take whatever you want, whenever you want. Well, tell me Mm -hmm. what kid knows any sort of body trust cues, you know, at that Mm -hmm. age. And Mm -hmm. in this particular family I'm thinking of, but it, it follows a trend. It's DC, both working parents, very busy. So they have maybe some dinners alone, or maybe they have some dinners with one parent, or maybe they have snacks after school. There's other limitations that have nothing to do with blaming a body that have to do with, are the parents setting up a structure at home that respects their body and Mm -hmm. respects that it's the kid's job to self-regulate their food intake based on their hunger and fullness and appetite and and pleasures and interests. And so it's like, there's plenty of quote work to do. There's plenty of Mm -hmm. things to change, but they come in concerned about the weight and it's really just a part of their normal growth. So like Mm. what parent who's going to Weight Watchers, they already have their own weight concern and now Mm. they're paying their membership, bringing their kid quote for free. And it's not like when you take a kid to a restaurant and they get a coloring menu, you know, like (laughs) they're going to be sitting in a meeting Mm. and that's what I just don't get is, are they sitting in a meeting with adults? Even if they won't be weighed, are they going to be in a room when adults are going to be weighed? What if adult is processing? I'm really sad because I didn't lose any weight and breaks down in tears and my spouse Mm. is sick and what are they going to hear? There's just so much that really makes me nervous about it. As far as I know, like my clients who talk to me about going to Weight Watchers when they're eight, when they're 10, when they're 12, when they're 14, they're in there with the adults. They're weighed with the adults. They're, They're not protected or treated in any other way. So it's dreadful. And I have not heard a single client say that was a great experience and it really set me up for healthy habits for life. Not surprised. 
No, no, it set them up for, for feeling ashamed, feeling like their body was wrong and feeling, you know, starting that endless counting of points and, you know, allocations of good and bad food. And yeah, I love what you're saying about the kind of interventions that we can offer to kids that are really safe and really effective and really empowering, not just for the kid, but for the whole family. I think that's one of the reasons Weight Watchers get in here. It's like, well, we've got this terrible problem with bigger kids and no one's doing anything. So here's our awesome program, which there are many other ways of going about looking after kids' bodies that don't involve an ineffective, expensive, harmful program like Weight Watchers. I know. Yeah. And, you know, there's people saying things like, oh, but you know, but, 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 and they'll pull some fear mongering about childhood obesity and diabetes or something. And like, nobody else is doing anything, you know, like the schools or that, or this or that, or the system. And I'm just like, there's actually a tactic called detouring where what you basically do is you bring up other like separate issues to try to justify something that's actually harmful, like to try to justify the thing that's being challenged. Mm, and yeah. It's a way of distracting people and kind of keeping a following of support up. And what's twisted about all of that is that because we have such a strong, powerful weight bias in our culture, that it's really the people who are educated and understand size discrimination. Yeah. They're the ones that can recognize the detouring, but most other people, when my article was posted in a big dietitian's group with 30,000 Facebook followers of registered dietitians, when mm -hmm. I saw it posted, a vast majority of the original comments was like, sounds good, sounds good. And it wasn't until it got shared through the anti-diet dietitian community, was there more thoughts and sharing about why it's so harmful. And then the moderator came in and said, well, I have an idea since you're so against it. Why don't you do something about it yourself and offer free sessions yourself and this and that? And I ended yeah. up, and again, that's an area of detouring once again of mm -hmm. just like, yeah, there are lots of problems that we should tackle, but that does not negate that there is weight stigma, that focusing on weight loss is telling kids their body is a problem. And mm -hmm. that from what we know, the messages and the plans that they would be getting from Weight Watchers would be setting them up for mm -hmm. eating disorders, childhood obesity, both, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's, it's absolutely without question. The evidence is that strong that the diets aren't going to work, increase the risk of eating disorders and increase the risk of weight gain over time. But you're right. If we throw like a flaming, you know, distraction cocktail of but dietitians cost money or <laughs> you know, some people are really, really fat, then we just completely forget about what we're arguing about. And it's so interesting. You're calling it detouring because a few podcasts ago, we're talking about how diet culture is an abusive relationship and how so many tactics that happen in diet culture are similar to being in an abusive relationship. And the same thing happens if you're in a, an argument with an abuser and you've got a valid point like, hey, you're cheating on me. And they go, basically, yes, but three years ago, you lied to me about something else. <laughs> I see that a lot in the news in America these days in politics. A lot of yes, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah. abusive. It's abusive. And it rocks. It gets you off track. It gets you distracted. It helps you kind of lose track of the point. We can't lose track of this point that this is very strongly supported by research evidence and eating disorder evidence. Mm -hmm. But we're going to do these kids a world of harm. And oh. the Weight Watchers' belief in their own bullshit really needs to just be stopped. Yeah, we should not, you know, kids are innocent minors. Their brains are still developing <laughs> with respect to being able to process and handle all these things. It's a very mm -hmm. critical and dangerous time. And, you know, I was just thinking as we were talking about this that also acknowledging that this really isn't the first time that diet culture has tried to co-op kids. And I'm only thinking in recent history, I don't know if you remember these were both from the States, but one was when Disney World tried to create some sort of exhibit and it had like Calisthenics was a character, like for calisthenics, and willpower. Are you kidding? And, no. <laughs> calisthenics and willpower. And they were these like superheroes that fought these like caricature blobs. And it <gasps> intended to improve health and focus on healthy habits. The exhibit got completely shut down, never even started. If it ever opened, I'm not sure. But it basically, there was a backlash and 
They said, no, this is wrong. But again, Mm -hmm. you are assigning value and worth to an appearance, which actually isn't scientifically true. You can't tell anything about a person by looking at them. No. And even if that person is quote unquote unhealthy, that doesn't mean we can like justify bad treatment of them or exclusion of them. That's just shit. Yeah. You could have poor health at any size. It could be a strong genetic predictor. And that's the problem with healthism. It's this idea that we should own health. It's the most important thing that we should put all of our efforts into, which actually is very expensive to do. So that's Mm -hmm. not right. It's not socially just, but then it's like, if something does happen to us, it's our fault. I mean, that is so, 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 so wrong. It's down to our own poor habits and our lack of willpower or whatever. We're just not trying hard enough when it's overwhelming the evidence that genetic predisposition is going to load the gun for us in a big way. And then there's, you know, and one of the things that really strikes me over and over again is the impact of weight cycling and chronic dieting on all of those risk factors that are attributed to weight. So it's so complicated and we've really got to stop this individual blame. Yeah. Yeah. That can't come fast enough because I think it's, I think it harms everyone, right? Because it mostly harms the oppressed, but it also Mm -hmm. harms the group in power. So comparing the oppressed child at a higher weight, Mm. you know, it also harms the child who's in power, who's not at a higher weight because they are distracted Mm. thinking about overthinking about all these things that they need to fear, which includes their bodies, their appetite, their growth, because they also believe the worst thing that they could do is is to become fat. Exactly. Yeah. I've got stats here from Australia and New Zealand Mm -hmm. that says 75% of high school girls feel quote unquote fat and want to lose weight. And that yeah. the young kids who diet moderately have a six-fold increase in the risk for developing an eating disorder. And if you diet more severely, there's an 18-fold risk increase. And this is what we're talking about. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> I need to hear that again. So a six-fold increase for developing an eating disorder and frequent dieting is an 18-fold e- increase? The difference is between diet moderately or diet severely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That is really scary stuff because Weight Watchers is a diet. And those are stats from Australia that are very convincing. This is not uh, research that was sponsored by Weight Watchers, obviously. (laughs) Oh, well, theirs is going to be a two week to six month trial that, you know, hey, it worked, you know, with whatever pounds. I mean, how successful is it even really? Well, it's like bullshit successful. (laughs) I've got some, like we did talk about that a little while ago, but on average, this is from the Weight Watchers own research. This is their own research Uh that on average, their people will lose 2.4 kilograms at one year. And I think that's about like eight pounds in one year. And someone else worked out the Weight Watchers costs and it was $716 a month, which works out at $8,500 a year for Weight Watchers. And if you've lost at the end of that year two and a half kilos, you're around like, it's around four grand a kilo that you'll put back on anyway, because on average, we know that even a year's follow up is looking at like the bottom of the diet roller coaster and the weight's just about to go back up again. So, mm-hmm. bloody hell, when you think of that kind of money for that kind of return. Yeah, I mean, it is. What else could you be doing with that money? Whether yeah. it's, you know, buying the healthy food that you need, taking a vacation of any sort of, you know, a family weekend or something, it could just go to much better things that actually could feel. That could be really health supportive, right? Like you could go on a massive skiing holiday. There we go. Yeah, you could go surfing. You can like just do stuff that's it's so not about focusing all the time on preventing your body from getting any bigger or trying to shrink it to get smaller in the name of so-called health. It's diabolical what's going on here. So your article that you did produce, had a lot of interest and a lot of uptake and a little bit of pushback as well. (laughs) Can you tell me about that? (laughs) You know, it was a race to get out. I was a little bit nervous just because by the time we finally sent it off, it was like, 
I mean, I remember my, you know, it was like 4.45 on a Friday and I was like, is anybody going to care about this? You know, <laughs> you never know what Trump is going to tweet out in the US and whatever you are working on, just forget it. But I shared it just in, in social media circles and then proceeded to spend the weekend following and enthusiastically participating in the Wake Up Weight Watchers Twitter chat. Yeah, that is awesome that that kind of hashtag wake up weight watchers was born out of all of this it's so good because just today actually just before we started talking a news.com.au article has come out here in australia talking about the backlash and talking about the wake up weight watchers campaign so Mm. this is so good this is social change and pushback and resistance and i'm i'm just so tired of reading weight watchers press releases presented as if they're news and it's Mm -hmm. so incredibly freaking wonderful to see just one critical article and all of these all of these wonderful body positive and eating disorder and you know just human beings who get it pushing back and making a, a huge difference because yeah wow if we can like stop a disney weight stigma ride from happening yeah. <laughs> we can upend weight watchers we can do this right. yeah you know one of the things that i have really felt touched following on Instagram is there, I don't know who to give proper credit to, but I know it was some anti-diet dietitians who are in the younger age category than I. (laughs) 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 And what they did was share pictures of them in their teen years and their like awkward teen years. So like, Uh, you know, know, piggyback spiral per embrace face, all that stuff. I saw those. They're adorable. Just adorable photos and then these passionate messages about like, I remember having weight gain as a teen. I remember feeling awkward and Weight Watchers would have been horrible for me. Mm. So that has been great. And I've also seen others who are involved in the body positivity movement who actually did Weight Watchers as a teen who are also speaking Mm. out. I love that there is all the backlash to the announcement. And then to your point of mentioning earlier, I have also been, I don't know why, I guess it's an agenda, but like personally attacked with respect to the Washington Post article. So some emails Mm. and it's basically, Rebecca Scritchfield is an idiot, you know? Oh my gosh. You know, thank you. I'm just (laughs) delete, delete, delete. And look, it's like, I mean, even in body kindness, I say like, no one can tell you what body kindness is or isn't. And so that piece or what I'm trying to say isn't like, you're a fool because you did Weight Watchers. It's like, mm-hmm. the truth of it is some people don't know what their full health and well-being potential is. And if mm-hmm. a person deeply believes that Weight Watchers was the thing that saved their life and this and that, like, they're not your audience. You are never going to convince them that this is a systemic problem that you're attacking. You're attacking weight stigma and diet culture and Weight Watchers is the symptom because they represent this big power. So a lot of that was just ignoring, but I did feel, I felt some sympathy for these people who were just like, and here's my story. And it wasn't a lot of those stories, you know, got one or two like, Hey, Rebecca, Weight Watchers was successful for my partner or spouse or something. Mm -hmm. And I just, Hey, thank you for letting me know. I really appreciate you. It's just not normally successful. It's, you know, and so, so I kind of bite back to that, but just with kindness, because it's like, I want you to have a good life. And if that is what Mm. you believe, it's not my job to be like, you suck as a person for doing that thing you need. But what Weight Watchers wants to do is make the whole world believe that that's a normal experience. Exactly. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah, but we know it's not. From the Fat Foo blog that we talked about when we were talking about Weight Watchers last time, it works for a calculation of about two in 1,000 of people who weren't really that big in the first place. <laughs> and I'll put that in the show notes just to demonstrate like the statistical unlikelihood of that outcome. But yeah, of course, you know, there's going to be some emails. There's going to be some people whose life experience conflicts with the life experience of the vast majority. But what we're talking about is I really am passionate about it. The harm outweighs that kind of outcome. If we had a treatment for any kind of disease, and I don't actually agree that body weight is a disease, but if we had a treatment that killed 98 people and didn't kill two, we probably would make a different decision. It's just, yeah, it's a bit of a no-brainer when you look at it statistically. Yeah. And I don't think it was Jess Baker who first said to me, she said, you can't, 
She's like, I love, you know, I get, we want to eradicate diet culture. She said this on my podcast. I get that. She's like, you will not achieve that unless you start working to erase fat phobia because mm. fat phobia is the reason why diet culture exists. And it was like, mind blown. Thank you. Mm. And I just can't say that enough that that is, and to any helping professional who might be listening, that is my passionate call and plea. We struggle to use the word fat as a profession and helping professionals. And that's because of the stigma associated with the word. And if you are living within privilege, you do need to be sensitive to the ways in which you use it as an ally and make sure that you are clarifying it as a descriptor and as a support the right for fat people to exist. They just want the same rights. I think it is helpful to work with our own discomfort and to step You know, we can be anti-diet and weave in these important messages Mm -hmm. of just asking what's wrong with fat and why why don't we give the advice that we would give a thin person to a higher weight person. It's so important and so essential because it's one of the fundamental principles of health at every size, which is an intuitive eating and, you know, all of the anti-diet stuff, which is reject the pathologizing of body weights and Mm -hmm. accept body diversity. And that is the center of it. That is the foundation of all of this. And if Weight Watchers truly did that, then they would have to close their doors. So their whole business model is built on weight stigma and discrimination against larger bodies. Yeah. One question I always ask my clients who have struggled with dieting or with their bodies is, you know, imagine when you were little, before all of this started, imagine just someone said, your body is fine. Imagine we lived in a world where this diversity was truly accepted. How would that have changed your life? Would you have gone to Weight Watchers? <laughs> and the answer is always, it would have been a really different life, a really awesome life and would not have included going along and buying these kinds of products. Yeah. I'm pondering that question myself as a young chronic dieter, you know, and it's interesting. I definitely wish that I would have somehow been taught that my social capital isn't wrapped up in appearance. Mm, Yeah. Um, And even the message, like I remember thinking that I need to get like all my other friends have guys at school who like them, you know, Mm. and but I'm not getting picked. (laughs) But I mean, it's like, really? Like, I want to go back to that girl and hug her and say, let's practice your French horn some more. Or, you know, like, (laughs) like, let's do something that you would be so grateful to have spent this time doing, not, Mm. you know, worrying. And so there's a sexism piece to it too, right? Like this, I'm supposed to be, I need to, be liked by men and get men's attention. Mm. So it is, it's a really big, as a mom of two young girls, I'm really scared. Yeah. As a mom you know. of two young girls, I am also scared. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do? <laughs> oh, pass the wine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's important, but that's why this work is important. And we need to break the cycle of constantly reinforcing this message that a female's worth is in her appearance and that some appearances are worth more than other appearances. I love what you said. You want to go back to your little self, give her a hug and say, just be you because you're awesome. And that's totally different to be you, but be smaller. Crappy. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Oh. And I'm, lots of different ways to, lots of different ways, I think, to reach kids and teens at their vulnerable stages. And I mean, I get the schools have a tons of responsibility already, but we got to look at their hours of the day and where they're at. So between schools and coaching, it's like, there's got to be, you know, I really feel like the next big push of all of this is like, how do we connect simple tools and resources that are weight inclusive and truly size affirming? You know, I mean, with all these technologies, with simple webinars and e-courses and podcasts and stuff that can reach the schools and the after-school coaches and the this and that, just to help give them that language that, that we had to learn ourselves and to understand that if they were to give their coaching and their gym classes and their health assignments, wherever they talk about weight, Mm -hmm. they were to think about the most depressed person in the room the hot, you know, so re- relating to weight, you know, mm. there's lots of oppressions, but relating to weight, the most oppressed, the highest weight, if they were to provide the compassionate education that included that body, 
they would yeah. help all the kids in the class. Yeah. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Inclusion rather than, you know, sort of eradication, I guess, is the current model. Mm-hmm. That would be lovely. And just to imagine a health at every size or, you know, intuitive eating, joyful movement and embracing body diversity as the platform for nutritional and physical education in schools. See, that would be exciting. That would be, quote unquote, creating healthy habits for life, not dieting. Yep. (laughs) It's definitely something that I've been pondering. It's just sort of like, I mean, I do think more talking is super helpful because that's part of the benefits. But I think as more people are open and hearing and are needing something, you know, I mean, you even programs like the why I don't really know. I'm not a member. Maybe I should join and go to my community and check it out and use my voice, you know, Mm -hmm. but like, but I'm just thinking of programs that do reach more people far and wide, or we were beneficiaries of WIC growing up, uh, women's infants and children's and Mm I keep forgetting. I don't know. Everyone knows the why. It's a big song, right? Yeah, but I don't know what it actually stands for. Okay. (laughs) So it's basically, you want to think of them as like affordable places where people and families can engage in sports, swimming, activities. Okay. They're like a big nonprofit, right? But I mean, you know, and I don't have details about, oh, look at this body shaming thing they're doing, but just a generous assumption that they're probably trying to be helpful and how they talk about weight and bodies, but do they have all the education they need to be weight inclusive? You know, Mm -hmm. because we really have to change our culture Mm -hmm. to literally fit higher weight people. So whether that's the chairs where people are going to sit in or how we deliver health messages. Mm, mm, Yeah, that is the shift that needs to happen all over the place. We do have something similar to the Y here. It's called the PCYC. And yeah, same thing, nonprofit, low cost, and it's just a place for people to go and move in various different ways. It's pretty cool. Yeah, lots and lots of places, uh, opportunities to open this up and you know, health professionals, what inspires me, like with, apart from the wake up, weight watchers thing is how many anti-diet and non-diet people are in the health professions and are going into their workplaces and trying to change them. And that's how social change happens. It's going to, yeah, people are kind of going in everywhere and speaking up more and more. And it's people like you who do this work and get out there, you know, with your book and your podcast and everything that you're doing. It's really helpful and really inspirational. So thank you so much for doing it. Well, I mean, I just feel like I have to thank you back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And thank people before me. And I mean, it's just, it really is one, you know, Mm. I love the saying about the turtle on the fence. They didn't get there alone. And (laughs) I was going to ask you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so it's this idea that the way information moves and influence moves. Mm. And I'm sure you can relate to when you look at what you spend your indirect, uncompensated, like volunteer time on, Mm. you question like, is this going to make a difference? Who's going to see this? Why does this Mm. matter? Yeah, There can be a lot of doubt and that doubt and fear can actually prevent people from taking meaningful action. Yeah. Yeah, but but everyone's voice counts and it really can. Everybody collectively together can change the world. Beautiful. Thanks so much for this amazing chat and this very important topic. And if Weight Watchers abandon this stupid campaign, I'm sending you some (laughs) champagne. (laughs) Woohoo! I'm going to hold you to that, girl. (laughs) Thank you again so much. Thank you for having me. Incredible conversation. Once again, thank you so much, Rebecca Scritchfield. She's such an amazing person and a real advocate. It's just so good. I'm all fired up still with this topic. I'm really hopeful, as I said at the beginning, that this will result in real change and a real abandonment of this crappy, crappy, crappy idea. If you want to find out more about Rebecca and everything that she's doing, you can go to her website, which is bodykindnessbook.com. And from there, follow her on all of her social media handles and really get to know her because she's awesome. 
And if you haven't already, please do something with this hashtag Wake Up Weight Watchers campaign. So you can go on Twitter, you can send a message there, you can up, upload stuff on any kind of social media that you have using that handle. Share your stories. If you've had trouble with Weight Watchers before, if this has landed you in hot water as much as it has all of my clients, let them know because with many voices speaking at the same time, they just can't ignore us. So wonderful to see this movement happening. So that's it for this week. I will be back next week with a whole fresh steaming topic to rake through. But thank you so much, everybody, for all of the likes and the positive feedback and for all of the ideas that are flooding in about things to be pissed off with and keep them coming. So email me, louise at untrapped.com.au if something is really firing you up. And if you're loving the podcast, please subscribe. So go to the iTunes website and make sure you sign up so you don't miss any episodes. And if you're kind enough, please leave a really lovely rating and review for us so that we go up in those ratings and more and more people find out about the fired up message and get fired up and help us to topple diet culture. And if you feel like you need a little bit more support with your own personal experience of diet culture and everything that has done to you, please join us at untrapped.com.au. It's our lovely online program. It is a cure for diet culture. And there are so many incredible non-diet practitioners involved in the program. You will be held and supported by not just me, but by all of these other wonderful individuals who have got just between us, I think we've got over 100 years of experience. So if you need some help, you don't have to do this by yourself. Come on board and join our wonderful community. And anyone who's looking for a resource, you know, about more about weight science and sort of pushing back on the weight loss facts that are shoved down our throats day and night, Fiona Willer, who is an excellent anti-diet dietitian and kind of research samurai, and I have written an ebook which is completely free to download at untrapped.com.au. It's called Everything You've Been Told About Weight Loss is Bullshit. And I'm finding this a lovely thing to print out and give to clients and anyone who'll listen, really, because it does, in a really neat way, provide all the facts about why what we're doing is really the only ethical and science based way to go. Okay, so that's all from me. I really look forward to speaking again next week on another inflammatory topic. In the meantime, trust no one, think critically, push back against diet culture, untrap from the crap. Yeah.